You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, everyone. The, uh, what, a, what a beautiful start to our morning together. Just, just love that. Worship team, such a blessing to us. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and uh, I am so glad that you joined us today as we continue our Advent series that we started last Sunday. In this Advent series, we have oh so cleverly entitled Christmas Presents. And uh, this series is out of the first chapter of the book of John. And John begins his letter, the gospel, his eyewitness account of Jesus' life, basically telling us who has come and what that means for us. It's John's way of giving us this picture of the meaning of Christmas. And so today we're going to continue that series. And Suzanne's going to come up and read today's passage, which is John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Join me in reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. This is the NIV version. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, in 1961, the uh, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human to travel to space. And afterwards, the premier of Russia, Nikita Khrushchev, famously announced that Russia was officially an atheist nation. And he uh, said, we have even more evidence for atheism now because we sent a man into the heavens and God was not there. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, the famed theologian, author, was still living at the time. And so he uh, responded to this announcement And he wrote a little essay entitled, The Seeing Eye. And in it, he reasoned, if there really is a God, then we wouldn't relate to God the way that a person who lives in a first floor apartment would relate to someone living in the second floor apartment, right? We were, as if like we were down here on earth, living on the first floor, and he sent a man to space up to the second floor to see if anyone lived there. And if nobody was home, then we could conclude that God was not there. See, C.S. Lewis said, if there is a God, you wouldn't relate to him in that way. No, you would relate to him like Shakespeare would relate to Hamlet. See, uh, Shakespeare created Hamlet. And the only one, the only way that Hamlet could know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare wrote something about himself into the play. Hamlet is not going to find anything out about Shakespeare by going up into the rafters, right, of the stage looking for him. The only way Hamlet, the creation, could know anything about Shakespeare, the creator, is if the creator would reveal something about himself to his creation. 
And then C.S. Lewis added, but the true God does something even better than that. He did not just write some information about himself into the play of the world. He actually entered it. The true light, John writes, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. See, that's the teaching of Christmas. It was that the one, the one for whom all things were made, the creator God, wrote himself into the play. And in today's passage, John tells us John, uh, that Jesus entered the world that he created to make the way, friends, to make the way for us to be brought into the family of God. But the tragedy of Christmas is that when Jesus entered the world, he was not recognized. And he was rejected. He was not received. Passage continues, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, you ever, you ever wonder why Jesus uh, came as a baby, you know, born in a manger, born in poverty, born in humble circumstances. Like you, you would think that uh, he, he would have been much more easily recognized, right? And much maybe much more, uh, you know, quickly received if he had come in power and in glory, right? I mean, Jesus descending from heaven, I don't know, like giant, majestic, angels blaring, trumpets playing, earth shaking, unmissable, he probably would have been recognized a little bit more easily, right? Probably received a little more quickly by more people than he was. Why did he come? Why did he come as a baby? Why did he come the way that he did? Uh, Soren Kierkegaard the Danish philosopher and theologian, tried to capture the reason why King Jesus came in humility and his famous parable, The King and the Maiden. Are you familiar? If not, here, here's how the story goes. He says, uh, suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. This king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him for he had the strength to crush all of his opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject, but a loving bride. So the mighty king disguised himself as a beggar. And he went alone to the maiden's cottage door to win her heart. Or to put it another way, the mighty king 
took on flesh, was born in poverty, born in a manger, to win our heart. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 puts it this way. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, Kierkegaard's story, I think, powerfully and beautifully captures why Jesus came the way that he came. If he had come in all splendor, majesty, and glory, then we certainly would have responded with bowed knees. But because he's after our hearts, that he doesn't just want cringing subjects, but a loving bride, he came in humility to be with us and to win our love. But tragically, as John tells us, when the king came to the door, he was not received. That he was rejected. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. In the Greek, uh, the original, what the book of John was originally written in, um, the idiom that is translated, uh, he came uh, to that which was his own, could also be translated, he came to his own home. He came to his own home, but his own home, his own family, his own people did not receive him. Think about in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, near the, uh, or chapter 23, verse 37, near the end of Jesus' ministry, as the hour of the cross is rapidly approaching. He, he uh, speaks to his own people, his own home, if you will. And he says to them, uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you are not willing. You hear the sadness in that statement. Jesus came to his own, his own that he loved and he longed to gather to himself like a, like a hen loves to gather her chicks under her wings. He, he longed to gather them and yet they were not willing. And yet they rejected him. Sadly, I know that we are all familiar with the pain of rejection in one form or another, aren't we? Sticks with you, doesn't it? Pain of rejection wounds you deeply, leaves scars. It did for Jesus. Ultimate rejection was the cross. Wounded him deeply, left scars. Not just on his physical body. That he knows the pain of rejection. See, if you've been uh, rejected by a job that hurts, if you've been rejected by a friend that hurts even all the more, if you rejected by long-term girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, 
Have you been rejected by a spouse? Have you been rejected by a parent? I mean, that's, that is so incredibly painful. And, uh, and that things just got heavy, so let me tell you a story. In fourth grade, um, in fourth grade, my mom bought me some new shoes. They were knockoff knock Nikes called Hoops. Some of y'all have heard the story before. I wore those shoes the very next day, uh, proudly, into school and T.J. Parrish, I'll never forget his name, looked at me and said, hey everyone, it's generic Jake. <laughs> Which I have to hand it to him. Pretty clever, right? I mean, that's fourth grade, pretty clever. <laughs> but oh, that stung. I never wore those shoes again, and I've never forgotten that day. Now, I have suffered far worse rejection than that. Sadly, uh, most likely you have too. I just tell you that story because I can tell it with, with some laughter instead of tears. Friends, rejection is so powerful, so painful. Hear this, friends. Jesus knows that pain. Jesus, as Hebrews 4 talks about, is able to sympathize with us. You and your rejection, he has experienced it himself. That he cares. In fact, the reason why he experienced that rejection is because he cares. See, uh, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. Now, here's what I want you to consider, okay? Think about this for a second. Why in the world would the one through whom which the world was created, you know, God the Son, why would he open himself up to the risk of that kind of tragic, painful, horrific rejection? Why risk that? Why would the all-powerful king risk the lowly maiden's rejection? Why put his heart on the line like that? Well, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says it this way. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. See, my uh, sophomore year in college, my uh, long-term girlfriend of three years broke up with me. And uh, I was heartbroken, as you can imagine. Sad, angry, hurt, you know, all, all of the emotions that come with being rejected. And so I spent the next uh, rest of the sophomore year, all of my junior year, kind of healing up from that, getting over that, getting to a better spot, both with my walk with God and those just, you know, healthy relationships. And then uh, the weekend before my senior year of college, I met Krista. And uh, immediately I wanted to ask her on a date. Immediately I, I hoped that she would say yes and that we would begin to date. Now, why would I risk the pain, the, 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 the possibility of another rejection. Or you could say, uh, 
for the joy set before me. For the joy set before me, with the possibility of getting to know Krista, and maybe even the possibility of one day getting to marry Krista, I risked rejection once again. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, she didn't reject me. And uh, we celebrate 20 years in April. So that's pretty exciting. Friends, Jesus came to his own, and his own rejected him. Why go through that? It was for the joy that was set before him. And what was that joy? On this passage, John would say, just to put it simply, the joy was making the way for you and me to enter his family. That his joy was making the way for you and me to enter his family. See, it was the joy of making the way for you and me and anyone who receives him, anyone who believes in his name to become the children of God. Resulting in us experiencing peace with God and a relationship with God as our Father. See, John 1 verse 12 says that yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, a lot of people are surprised by that statement. They say, well, you know, I thought God created everybody. So isn't everybody a child of God? Well, yes. And no. But yes, in the way that, like, if you think about how Apostle Paul speaks to the people of Athens in Acts chapter 17, when he says, we are, like all of us, everyone, we are God's offspring. That in him, we live and move and have our being, that he is our creator, therefore we are his offspring. In that sense, yes, we are all his children, his offspring. But no, in the sense that John is talking about here. See, he goes on to describe in verse 13 that he is referring to, quote, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Biblical scholar, uh, professor D.A. Carson, in his commentary on the book of John, explains that statement this way. He says, with this description, the Apostle John clarifies that these are not children in a merely human sense of natural descent or human decision. Now, these children have been born of God in a unique spiritual sense that Jesus explains more fully in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you're familiar with that. See, in that conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus speaks about being born again or being born of the Spirit, which results in a unique, peace-bringing, access-enabling, loving relationship with God as your Father. First John puts it here, it results in us being given the right to become children of God. J.I. Packer's fantastic, famous book, Knowing God. He asked the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And then he answers the question with this, he says, quote, the richest answer I know to that question is one who has God as father. 
See, to be a Christian, to be someone who has received Jesus, who has believed in his name, that means that you get to have God as your perfect father. It means you're given the right to relate to the God of the universe as dad. Now that, that is absolutely uh, amazing and that you could spend your whole life just mining the depths of that. And yet also at the same time, as a result of the breakdown of a family, that statement for many of us is not awe-inspiring. It's heavy. It comes with baggage and pain. I want you to know that I get that. More importantly, I want you to know that your Father in heaven gets that. That He is your Father, but He's not the kind of Father like a, imagine a stepdad who, you know, uncaring, doesn't really get the emotional state of his stepchildren, just says, uh, you have to call me dad. Now, he, he's, the, he's the kind of father who <clears throat> loves you and gets you, who is your father, but is so compassionate and kind to you, gentle with you and humble with you, moves towards you at the speed that you can take. And I hope you can hear this, friends, but see, God the Father, he, he isn't a reflection of your dad, your earthly dad. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. He is the Father that gave you life on purpose, who wanted you and wants you, who promises to never leave you and keeps that promise, friends. He's the perfect father who provides for you, watches over you, and protects you. He's your perfect loving father who knows you and delights over you, who loves you and likes you, and is always working for your good, who always has time for you, and really enjoys it when you talk to him. And who is absolutely worthy of your trust. And friends, Jesus came. Knowing that he would suffer rejection and ultimately the cross. Scorning its shame so that through receiving him. Through believing in Jesus' name. He could bring us into the family of God. And have the right to relate to the God of the universe as father. That was the joy that was set before Jesus that made risking the suffering of rejection worth it. He came to be the way for you and me and anyone who receives him to enter his family and become the children of God. So let me ask you, friends, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to that? What would be a fitting way to respond? Well, let me speak to two audiences here. First audience would be those that have never received Jesus as your Savior. That if you've never believed in his name, then the question for you today is, uh, will you receive him or will you reject him? 
Think about uh, in Revelation chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse 20. We have Jesus speaking and he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. We will enter a relationship together. See, friends, the king has come to your door and he knocks. How will you respond? Will you receive him? Say, well, what does receiving him look like? Let me just get real, real practical. It looks like believing that he is who he says he is. That he is your king and your savior who died in your place to pay for your sins, to reconcile you to God, and who rose again to make it possible for you to enter into the family of God, to become a child of God. And so if you're ready to receive him, you can do that simply right where you said, because it's just a matter of belief, of faith, of trust. It's to say, I trust in you. Your death for me so that I can be forgiven and brought into your family. I receive you. Friends, that's, that's the best way to respond to him today if you've never received Jesus. The best way is to actually receive him. I encourage you to do that now. For the rest of us in here, those who have already received Jesus as your Savior, you've believed in his name, and how should we respond to all of this? Well, let me ask you. Are you living in light of what Jesus came to make possible? Are you living as a beloved child of God? See, if Jesus thought that making the way for us to become children of God was worth all that he suffered, then don't you think that it means that being given the right to become a child of God is a big deal? Absolutely, that's what it means, right? Well then, are you living in light of those rights? What does that look like? For sake of time, let me just give you two. The first is, to live in light of the rights that we've been given as children of God looks like enjoying your access to the Father. Enjoying your access to the Father. That where you spend time with him and you talk with him, you talk to him about what's going on in your life and in your heart, that you enjoy the intimate access that you have with the God of the universe who you get to call Abba, Father, Dad. You spend time with him. It looks like a, a relationship. It's not transactional. I do this for you, you do this for me, but is relational. I just want to be with you. And who you know, his arms are always wide open and his ear is always attuned to you because he longs to be with you as well. Are you spending time with him? See, friends, I, I, am, <laughs> I am not a perfect father. My kids will attest to that. But even as imperfect as I am, there is still little that I enjoy more than when my kids open up and talk to me. Because I care. And I love them. And I want an opportunity to encourage them and hear them talk about their hearts. 
see if I can do anything to help and, and just to assure them of my love for them. And if that's true for me to my kids, how much more, how much more is that true of your perfect father? Friends, are you talking with him? Are you relating to him? That's the first thing it would look like to live in light of the rights you've been given as children. The second thing, quickly, is this. It, it looks like embracing peace. Embracing the peace that is available to you because God is your father. So if you know that the God of the universe is your father, then you can be at rest even in the midst of trouble. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 6, right? You don't have to worry, he says, do not worry. You don't have to worry because uh, the God who takes care of the birds in the air and the flowers of the field finds you even more valuable than those things because you are his child. He cares about you and he is out for your good. He is wise and all-powerful and good and crazy about you. So do you don't have to worry. You can Experience peace by embracing the peace that's available to you because he's your father. Again, just in case I need to say it again, I know I don't, but I am not a perfect father. (laughs) But my kids still are not worried that I will provide for them and care for them. They don't wake up wondering about what they will eat or what they will wear or if they're going to be okay. They live with a confident peace that comes from knowing that they have a mom and a dad who loves them and who are for them. Friends, if you have received Jesus, then God is your father. How much more, how much more reason do you and I have to live with a confident peace? Friends, embrace that. It is a part of your rights as a child of God. See, Jesus came to give us that right. Let's walk in the joy of that. One more thing this means for us. It means that we're not alone. It means we're not alone. Nora Jones uh, released a Christmas album last year. And uh, on that Christmas album is a beautiful song that she wrote entitled, You're Not Alone. And I love this song, and yet I argue with it every time I hear it. Because here's how it goes, and I'm not going to sing it for you, uh, because um, that's all you would ever remember from this message. So um, let me just quote it. She says, if you are tired and if you are scared, you're not alone. If you were good, if you were bad, you're not alone. And then here's the chorus. Because Jesus was born on Christmas Day. And he gave us his love to make our own way. I love this song. I hate that last line. I argue with that last line every time. Because, listen, 
Jesus did not come. He was not born on Christmas Day to give us his love so that we could make our own way. That's the point. We can't make our own way into the family of God. We cannot make our own way. That's why Jesus was born on Christmas Day. To give us his love and to become the way. The way that we can know that we are not alone. See, on Christmas, we celebrate the way in the manger who came and suffered rejection so that those who receive him, those who believe in his name, can be given the right to become children of him. Jesus came to make the way to bring us into the family of God so that we can know we are never alone and so we can experience his peace, the peace of having the God of the universe as our loving Father. Praise Him. Praise Him. So to wrap up this message, we're going to partake in communion together. Servers, uh, if you will, you can begin passing out the communion elements. <coughs> as they do that, uh, I just want to give us a minute to be quiet before God and reflect on what Jesus suffered to make in order to make the way for us to be brought into the family of God. See, what we remember when we take communion is the ultimate example of how Jesus was rejected. God the Son entered the world that was made through him, and though the world did not recognize him, and though he came to his own, his own did not receive him, he still came, knowing that would be the case. And when they rejected him, when they beat him and they hung him on the cross, it was not because, just because that's what they were doing to him, but because that's what he came to do himself. To willingly lay down his life on the cross that his body would be broken and his blood would be poured out so that he could become the way for us to enter into the family of God. See, friends, he did that for you and he did that for me. So that whosoever would receive him and to believe in his name could be given the right to become children of God. I want to give you a second now just to consider what he did for you and why he did it for you. Use this time to thank him. Use this time to praise him. Perhaps use this time to receive him. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.